Welcome back to the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. Today, we welcome our very own podcast contributor, Alex Mirabel, as the guest of the roundtable. Coach Mirabel is the under-17 Dominican Republic national team head coach and the head coach of St. Peter's Prep High School in Jersey City, New Jersey. I know you know the format of, of the powers. You can go around the roundtable ask you a question. Uh, I'm going to start. All right. Cause I know, I know St. Peter's prep has a deep tradition in athletics, um, especially with its nationally recognized football team. Um, and then being in Jersey city, someone in touch with basketball, when they think of Jersey city, they automatically in my mind, go straight to St. Anthony's and the legendary coach, uh, Bob Hurley senior. So my question to you is about program development. First, developing a tremendously successful basketball program at a football-dominated school, and then in a location where you weren't always necessarily the first school that people would choose for basketball. It's pretty simple. Have you ever watched the movie Moneyball? <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe I have. Watched it. That's what I do. I get guys that some guys may not want, but they're they're good character kids. Parents understand. Good students. And then you look at the school boy. In the average a high school game, you need about sixty points to actually win a game. So you know you do the math. You know can this guy give me eight points a game? Five, ten, and then I just hammer them defensively. And then I'm fortunate enough to, to have one of the best players in the, in, the, in the region, Mark Armstrong, and maybe one of the top players in the country at his position. And once you get that, everything else falls in place. And, and to the school credit, a lot of stuff run itself. So, so the guys really understand what we want from them. And repetition is key. If we are a consistent program, and like you mentioned, Coach Hurley, uh, we try to emulate everything that he did as far as like working out two to three times a week all year long, whether it's weights, skills, playing, playing in summer leagues, 40 plus games a summer, 20 plus games in the fall. And that's what we've been doing throughout the last couple of years. It's nonstop, to be honest with you, nonstop all year long. All right, thanks. I guess I got to go read Moneyball and watch the movie. You got to watch the movie. Again. <laughs> yep, watch it. Not, not read the book. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. That's what <laughs> I do. You know, just, just put, put, you know, things together. Right. L. Green, Cam High School. Yeah, sorry. I had to get to my notes. You know, we had to write like 20 things down to be sure that one takes it. Um, how do you – hey, Alex, thanks again for being on here. We appreciate you. How do you balance – being a husband, a father, and a coach of two amazing teams. You have your St. Peter's and you have your um the um national team. So how do you how do you do all of that and stay grounded? I mean I, I think that's that's probably the best question because without the family support and without a happy wife, you know, your your life is gonna be miserable. <laughs> so I'm sure we, we experienced that at some point and we fixed it. Uh, but I think, you know, 
you know, I, I, I have a nine-month-old baby and a two-year-old, and I think they balance me very well. This pandemic has been very good to us. We spent a lot of time together. So, but if it wasn't a pandemic, usually certain on the weekends, I spend a lot of time with them. I give the wife a break and I, you know, spend time with the kids. I take them to some fall league games, summer league games. But um, we go away uh, like once a year in August when we have no basketball. So, you know, that's good enough for her. But she really understands, you know, what I'm about, what I'm trying to do. So that's the biggest thing. Her understanding is important. Prior to us getting married, she knew what I was trying to do. So once you have that type of agreement and understanding, then things run smoothly. Not 100% smoothly, but somewhat smoothly. Chris Ballerini, do it, Clinton. Hey, Alex. Dan, thanks for being here, man. Um, no problem, yeah, so uh, here's the question, Ben. Is talent is everything, right? Getting talent in the building is so important. And you talked about money ball and things like that. But I want you to go a little bit deeper. When you're looking at seventh and eighth graders, how are you attracting talent? Do you have guys out there that are seeing it? Like, what, what setup do you have over there that gets really good players to join your program? I think that's a really good question, too. The school itself is really great. I know, Kev, you, you hear great things about the school. It's how, you, you know, it's like, it's like a, like a little college. Yeah. So, Even academically, you hear great things about. about it's, it's an easy step academically. The biggest thing is, is the money. Some parents can't afford it, but we try to work out, you know, some, some, some good packages for them. But <clears throat> I think that it's, it's a very unique situation. The students and the parents don't understand what the school is about. And, and I, have, I have grinders like guys that really grind it out. And then all of a sudden they become really good basketball players. Like right now I have a, a senior guy named Gavin O'Farrell. He's gonna play at RPI. If you saw that kid in eighth grade, and I think Murph, you've seen him, you would not think he's a division three player. It was like, this kid was just, I can't explain how he played. He got bigger, he got stronger, and, and it was from the continuity of just not stopping workouts and really going all year long and developing them mentally and making them understand what we're about. And, and you know, you get lucky. You get a couple more Armstrongs. Ray Ford is good for us, too, Division One player committed to FDU. And then you start attracting those guys. But it, it, it's, it's just... I'm really locked in with college basketball and I go to a lot of practices. I go to Nova practices like, you know, before the pandemic, like four times a year. I go to the games, you know. So relationship building with the coaches, college, I think to me is the most beneficial because you relate to them, they talk to you about certain things, and then you can implement a lot of stuff to your program. And it's no secret, I'm a huge Villanova fan. And I've seen Jay Wright turn two star players to NBA players or G League guys or, you know, Big East first team. And it's just the consistent of fundamentals. Um, I was lucky enough to have one of the top assistant coaches from St. Anthony's, uh, Tom Laticato. He's been coaching for 40 years. And he just taught me how to 
instill fundamentals for the players. And learning from that guy was huge. He's, he's like 75 years old. He was my assistant. And he was Coach Hurley's kind of associate assistant for like five years. So in his brain and him learning from Coach Hurley, it helps. So you can't be afraid to hire guys that are smarter than you. When I had him as a coach assistant, he ran maybe 50% of my practice, 60. He ran mostly everything. I just kind of sat back. It was kind of like NFL, offense, defense, and it just works out. But I think the consistency is the key in having the guys in the gym. And that's something I learned from, from Coach Hurley, to be honest with you. Kevin Spees, Middletown North. Thank you, Ben, for, having, for inviting me. And obviously, Coach Maribel, it's good to talk to you. Um, I hope we can continue on. I mean, I'm right down the street, so I'm definitely going to be at some games. Actually, I don't even know if we'll be able to be at games this year. Right? I don't think it's going to happen, but um, we're in a similar situation in the fact that we're in Jersey. We start January 11th, right? Our first, at least that's what we're at. I'm starting January 11th. My first practice is, is January 26th. So I'm going to have, I think what ends up being 14 practices, really 13 with a scrimmage. So if you are in the similar situation or you are going to be in that similar situation, what are you going to focus on in 14 practices? you know, to get you guys as prepared as you can be, you know, only having those 14? I mean, I think the biggest thing is fundamentals and then having the guys in shape. So the biggest thing that you have to do is try to get a gym January 2nd and have somebody monitor them playing and running and doing whatever they need to do. You can't start January 11th. You're going to be behind. So we you got to, yeah, <laughs> We're gonna you got to try to, you got to try to get a gym as soon as the governor clears this thing on January 2nd, you got to try to get a gym and do conditioning with them, have somebody, you know, private gym, have somebody work them out. You know, if you start the 11th, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a tough season, I know, but. But I would do fundamentals with a ball, conditioning with a ball. You know, I won't have them, like, run sprints without the ball. Like, it's important for them to have the ball in their hands and do shooting drills, full-court stuff <clears throat> with the basketball, bounce passes, jump stops, boxing out. It's all techniques and fundamentals. And um, I would never, you know, my practice changed so much throughout the years from watching these college guys that are so fundamental. Um, catch the ball with two hands, you know, pump fake, catch to shoot. It's just all that stuff that you have to implement as every day. And you have to film the practices, watch the practices, and then show them the film of how they practice like the day after. That's the most important thing. And if you do that three, four times a week, that's eight films, they get a better understanding. You, you know, if you show them the first scrimmage film, that's the for some kids, it might be the first time they're watching themselves play basketball. And some haven't watched themselves play since last year. So you got to watch the films and, and practice and make sure you, you show them what you need to do as far as the team. And 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 the most important thing is what I show is just I will, I will have a PowerPoint. It's your first year? Yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. And you got to have a PowerPoint and you show – something what I did about what you're really trying to do 
I will have a PowerPoint after you select your team with the parents on Zoom. Just, you have to drill that so they understand what you're trying to do. You know, high school coach jobs, is, it's not easy dealing with parents, AU and all that stuff. So this, the Zoom is easy, convenient your home, you put it together, you show them what you want once they make the team and they understand that. And over communicate, over communicate with parents and players. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to know who's on my team. So I'm texting them constantly, reminding them, in, you know, 35 days before the first practice, send them quotes and things of that nature and, and, and holding the captains accountable. So, you know, it's for you, it's tough first year and the, the stuff is going on. It's, it's, it's all right. It's not the best year joint to, uh, to, to, to communicate. I will have a group text message with the guys. I will have a PowerPoint, the parents, players, together or all, all the like you have to over communicate when i took over at prep i didn't communicate that well and the parents you know didn't like it as much so i learned from it and i over communicate with the players and the parents as well so that's key for you yeah this is going to be my first time because i mean l can attest and even you know actually all the coaches in here uh, uh, you know coming from new york at least for me in my situation at dewey parent involvement wasn't as big you know, I talked to a few parents. I would reach out to parents, but I, I wasn't really getting a lot of things back. And I know that's going to change. It's different middle town, especially. Yeah. And it's good and bad. You know, you'll get some parents that just. Of course. But it's, it's, it comes with the job. But yeah, I would try to impress them, impress them with a PowerPoint, let them know what you stand for, the future, what you expect from the players, and right. so forth. I appreciate that. Thank you, Coach. Not a problem. That was great. That Big was Murph. Great. Let's go. Big Murph. Alex, you ready for this? One question, Murph, right? It said the host has muted you. That's okay. Alex. He's the host. Oh, so as I was saying, Elle said she had 20 questions, but with Alex being on the other side now, you don't need him. Uh, you know, unless it's, that's the two, three, four question guy. But, um... <laughs> You know, this is a question for me because um, we have other people here who are head coaches, not having been a head coach. I know you were an assistant a couple times before you became a head coach. So if you could just share, like, you know, as an assistant, you think, oh, if we want to run this play or run this drill or, you know, I would do this with the team or I'd do that with the team. We all have our ideas, but until you move over into that seat, you don't really know what it's like. So if you could talk about maybe like the biggest challenges or adjustments going from being assistant to being a head coach, I'd appreciate that. I think head coaches some way, somehow is like <clears throat> in a way control freaks. Like we we want to have control and we want the program to be our image. I think that's the most important thing. Like you know, you can't run a program and not it can't be the, the your image. It has to be who you are, like, in a way. Like, if you're a passive guy, you know, you can be a passive-aggressive guy. If you're an aggressive guy, you have to press, like, and, and, and that's key. Like, the team has to be your identity. I think that's something that I always wanted, 
I wanted to make sure, like, I wanted the uniforms to be a certain way, the warm-ups. So that's the advantage that we have as a head coach. And it's great because you control the time. You know, Chris, Kev, you know, you control your own time. Al, you know, you coach it. So that's the huge benefit of it. The, the thing that I miss the most is the relationship with the guys. It's, I don't have that relationship like I used to. And it's really hard to find assistant coaches that really care for the kids. It's, it's really hard. And if you get them, you won't have them for too long because they probably want to be head coaches or, or do something else. But I think the thing I miss the most is being like a, like a friend, per se, to the guys as an assistant and hammer them and, you know, take them home and make sure, like, you know, they're doing okay and giving them advice. As a head coach, it's really hard for you to do that. It's, it's you know, it's different. You, like, hammer them in a certain way and you embrace them after, but you don't have that line of communication as an assistant. So I think that's what I really miss the most, to be honest with you. And I, I, the advantage of it, you know, as a Dominican, you know, coach, at times I am the assistant, and I take full advantage of it, and I actually have more fun. It's stressful being a head coach. Just be honest. It's, you know, it's, everything falls on you. Appreciate that. One thing I should have started off with. I need to get this on for high school basketball coach in the history of New Jersey. I need to see where your loyalties lie. The what? Best high school coach in the Best history high school coach. of New Jersey basketball. I need to see where your loyalties lie. Nah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to report back. Put the word out. Mur Murph's setting you up. Yes, man. He's trying He's to have me say something that, you know, it's going to be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> well, well let, let me ask you because, you know, I, I, I joined in on that virtual clinic with the New Jersey State Basketball Coaches Association, you know, and you had a, an integral part in it. You, you, you were moderating a lot of those, those clinics. You know, what, what, what's your role with that now? I'm, I'm the director of, of clinics. So any coaches clinic, and I think eventually we probably better do some clinics with the youth basketball-wise on the court. Like I would run it, but um, it was it was a role that it fit me because I have a lot of you know friends that are in the college industry, and I'm blessed enough to have them come in and join. So probably got like maybe seventy five percent of the coaches. Um, so it was pretty cool, and I learned a lot from giving them you know asking them questions and watching them presentation. When you do one on one with the coaches you're able to ask them questions that you want to know that like you're doing right now. But, I, you know, I'm talking to, like, uh, Anthony Grant. He's coach of the year in Division One. I'm asking him questions that I want to know, like how you started, what do you think about this, and, and a lot of other coaches. Um, so so it's, it's, it's a good role to have. And, uh, you know, I take advantage of it networking with the guys. Yeah. Because it's you, Alex. We're we're gonna go around again. We're we're not going with just one question, you know. That's fine. That that's fine. Um, and nobody's touched on it yet, really. But the the role that you play as as head coach of the uh, Dominican national team, the seventeen and under, 
what I want to know, what I'm always interested in knowing from you is how much of the FIBA game, like, can you translate into coaching at St. Peter's and the, you know, in New Jersey? Uh, as far as like the, the, just the style, you know, um, and, and also the, the style of FIBA is a lot different, you know, simply because they have a 24-second shot clock. New Jersey, you don't have a shot clock. Like, what, what is, are there pieces that, that you pull over into the high school season? I'm ready for you. Hold on. Give me. So. Hold on. He's pulling up his notes. Hmm. I'm ready for you, Ben. Coach, you about to bust out some film or what? So this is something that that I did a I did a a clinic internationally. So this is the difference between fever and high school rules. I mean, fever shot clock. You know, we don't have shot clock eight seconds to bring the ball up half court. High school is ten. In FIBA, you can't call life ball timeout. So uh, if a player has the ball, they can't call timeout. It has to be after a dead ball. Um, so you have to call a timeout on the table. So I have to ask the table, give me a timeout. Once the dead ball comes to give it to me, sometimes they ask you if you still want it. And I'm like, scratch it off, then they take it away. It's just pretty cool. I like it because the kids, they learn to play on their own. The FIBA basketball is a lot heavier than the regular basketball that we use here. Right, right. Well, this changed. There used to be 12-man roster. FIBA now it's 14 due to COVID. So they're giving you more guys in case somebody has COVID. High school is about, you know, 16. I see some some teams have maybe 20, which is crazy. Um, this is the... I think for me, this is the biggest thing. And I think the women's game in, in uh, college basketball has this, the five fouls per quarter. Um, the men's is 20 minutes, so it's a little different. But I think high school should implement this instead of having, you know, after seven fouls in 16 minutes, you shoot one-on-one. So if we foul seven times in a quarter, they shoot in – First quarter and second quarter, it's just, it slows the game down. So, you know, if you foul five times in a quarter, then that's when you shoot. And then they erase it, second quarter, you go on with no team fouls. And it's, it's a challenge for some of the guys because they don't really understand the rules. And it's tough for them to really understand the things that we're trying to do with FIBA, even for me. And something that I didn't mention here, which they're implementing now in the college, is if, let's say it's 20 seconds on the shot clock and the ball goes baseline out of bounds, in FIBA, it goes to 14 automatic. So it speeds the games, it gives you more possessions. Same thing, side out of bounds. If the ball dribbles, they, they slap it out of bounds, and you have... 20 seconds, automatically goes back to 14. So they take time away from you if the ball goes out of bounds, which to me is kind of crazy, but that's how they do it. Is that because they want to like reward? They want to speed you up. They want more offense. You know, 
Are they rewarding the defense for getting a deflection? Like, what? Yeah, man. I was up against 20 points. Murph has been a great, uh, I would say, a, a great person to to talk to during my toughest times in my career. We're up 20 points against Mexico in the third quarter. We lost by four. Crushed. Crushed. I don't even know how it happened. <laughs> just, All I know, I watched that game. I watched the game where they stole the state championship from him. Foul, 0.2 seconds left. And the game, one of the games I didn't see was when they won the Hudson County Championship. So I don't know, Al. We might have to reevaluate my role here. No, it was rough. I don't know how. We were up 20. It was about four. I, I couldn't believe it. We had over 100 possessions. We both did over each team. I'm like, it was like a track meet. And you couldn't control it because if, if you don't call a timeout on the four minutes, they take timeouts away. You only get three per half. It's just like crazy. So it's a fast game. And, and the kids, they have to learn how to play basketball on their own. And you have to be really good at that. If you don't, you have no control of what's happening on the court. So you have to trust your players. It's not like high school. You got, you know, like seven timeouts. It's different. It's fast. So there is that difference in, oh, yeah. in, in FIBA style where it's more yeah. onus on the players to actually. It's like, it's like playing soccer, man. <laughs> but I guess it, it's not even onus on the players. It's onus is on, on the coach to actually teach. In practice. Yeah, to actually coach your players more. Uh, situ- situational. So, do you do a lot of situational things? Yeah, we do in, in training but camps. It, it's just so different, so fast that it's, it has to be something that you have to do for months. And sometimes the time we have for some guys is just not enough. All right. Okay. L, you got another question? So, Alex, I'm not trying to get on you. You're my guy. Um, but I've always wanted to ask um, one of our um, people this, and I feel comfortable asking you this. What is your biggest flaw as a coach? Watching games that I lost, like end-of-the-year games. I haven't watched some games. I haven't watched the game I lost against Bergen Catholic this past year. Uh, we lost to them in double overtime, state uh, finals and I haven't watched the game from Bosco. We were up one with six tenths of a second and the ref decides to call like a hand check. So I haven't watched neither one to be honest with you. Uh, I watched that one. <laughs> I watched Glimpse but I, I, I haven't watched them yet. I always, you know, say maybe at the end, you know, in the in the summer, you know, I watch it and at the beach or, you know, some spot where I'm comfortable enough. It's tough. It's really hard to watch those two games. And I think I have to get to them and see, you know, the things that we should have done. I watch clips, you know, like little clips, but... I haven't watched it. That's that's my biggest flaw, I think. Those heartbreaker games are tough to watch. End of the year, too, which is like, you know, I don't need to watch it anyway type of thing. 
I'll get to them, Al. Trust me, I'll get to them. <laughs> thank you. I think that's a lot of our um, toughest ones. But thank you. I appreciate your honesty on that question. Yeah. Chris Ballerini. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, Chris, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting listening to the Dominican, about the Dominican team. Um, I'm really good friends with Wolfgang Lucina. So, oh, yeah, that's my guy. We was on staff together. I screamed at him one time. Yeah, that, hey, he, he deserved it probably, right? <laughs> he, he, he put the – we got this kid, Joel Soriano from Stepanak. I'm pretty, I think you know him. Okay. He had two fouls in the first quarter. He kept telling me he only had one. So I said, Wolf, he has two. He picks up his third. Oh, <laughs> you yelled at Wolf. He oh, yeah, yeah, he's a good friend. I'm like, come on, Wolf, you got to know better. He apologized for the whole week. <laughs> That's funny because we hosted the Dominican trial. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah, man, That's I where was... I first met you, man. You came up. Yeah. Uh, that was cool, man. It's, it's interesting to see it, right? You see the talent. It's amazing. Yeah. It's right? It's really cool talent. Um, if you got any Dominican guys in the Bronx, please let me know. You know that. <laughs> Coach, it's a whole bunch of Come straight, come straight to Clinton because uh, that's our that's our go-to man. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting talking to some coaches, right? And, and Ben's done an amazing job bringing in some really you know bright minds in, in the field of coaching. And I wanted to know, like, the, the games must be loud, right? You're you're playing in state championship games, you know, these are loud facilities. What are you doing in terms of hand signals? What are you doing, like, with baseline out of bounds? Do do they know? what the play is because I was laughing about it. Like I would come home, my voice is shot in from these gyms because I'm calling out every damn out of bounds play and the ball goes out a lot. You, you don't realize it, but you're hollering. What's, what's your approach to the out of bounds? Do you have a series? Is it all set up beforehand? Villanova series, basically out of bounds. It's thumb up. I used to thumb down and then I used double. And what do they mean? It's, you have to, it's like you have to you watch the games to do the same thing. You have two guys. They literally have two guys at the elbow on the ball side. Opposite guy, usually if the, two, the two best shooters is in the opposite box mm -hmm. and at the elbow. Okay. And they just do a whole series. Okay. So I go this, I go this, or I go – Two, which is like a back screen. Mm -hmm. Three, so it's based thumb up, thumb down. Two and three. And, and then you're do and you're doing that with your man sets or whatever zone man set. Man set the best the best place you have should be head, shoulder, elbow, fist, you know, mm -hmm. uh, back, chest. So it has to be a, a hand signal so that way in the games, you know, spread. I go, you know, so they. Yeah. So that's that's what I do. Chin, you know, he knows, you know. Sure, that's, sure, sure. That's that's what I usually do. So that way they know what we're doing. And that goes right to the point guard and the point guard kind of relays. Yeah, that. look at me, I go chin, yep. chin, head, shoulder, okay. elbow, spread, four, five, you know, double, you know. Yep. Okay. Cool, man. You know, Thank the you. Horns, hold it down, hold size, you know. You got a lot of plays, dude. <laughs> I have too many, man. 
I got smart kids, Chris. So. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're going deep in the playbook. Yeah, but that's what I use. You got to use the hand signals as your best place. Yep. And that way, you know, you're good to go. When it's yep. loud, crowds, stuff like that. Cool. Thank you. Yep. Kevin, you're up. All right, so, Coach, I'm taking one out of uh, your book with asking you questions that I want to know. So I'm coming, obviously, from New York and then from the college game, both of which have shot clocks. So my first question is, one, when are you going to push this association to get a shot clock in Jersey? And two, what, um, like, strategically, I mean, you coach in both. So strategically, what, what do you change with there not being a shot clock? And, and holistically in the sense that, like, you know, I, I personally, my philosophy is I like to – I'm a firm believer that more possessions equals more chances to score equals more points. So I want to play fast. I want to get shots up. I want an offensive rebound. But I don't know if that lends itself to be successful with, without a shot clock. I would assume it does because if other teams are playing slower and we're playing faster, that also helps our – chances of getting more possessions but i'd like to hear your take on like what you think about the shot clock and how your coaching changes holistically and then maybe even like end of situations end of games how, do, how does your how does your coaching change with there not being a shot clock i think I'm, I'm in favor of shot clock i think it helps the game more so in the fourth quarter um than the whole game itself i think the shot clock benefits the off the defense, not the offense, because if you if you playing you know with a shot clock, you playing defense, and I got to stop you thirty five seconds. That's a huge advantage instead of a never ending moving. You know teams are disciplined, they move the ball back and forth. You playing defense for 40, 50 seconds. That's that's rough, and it's tough for us coaches to expect them to be sharp. So defensively. You have to be aggressive up the lane. You have to trap. You have to speed the game up on, in high school with no shot clock. So that way you get more possessions. If you sit around against guys that you'll be playing against, it's going to be rough. You know, we, we've played a team that were more talented, more athletic. And, you know, after the first quarter, they're up five. And I, I had to start trapping and up the line. And, and where you at, it's going to be it's even tougher because they call everything. So you have to, like, pick and choose what you're trying to do. Um, as far as offense, I'm up eight, ten, with five minutes left in the game. I'm holding the ball. Only so like, you do, so you, you'll literally just have, like, like so you, will you practice, like, Cutters. a certain – Yeah, it's you know, play. Just like, and we're just running it until we get a layup. And if we don't get a layup, we'll run it for three minutes. I call it time on between. So if I have the ball five minutes, I'm trying to hold it for a minute, call timeout, hold it for another minute, that's three. Then try to get a play, see if we can get it. If not, get the ball back. But I'm holding the ball. And we, I've won a lot of games holding a basketball with no shot clock. And I've lost many when a guy took a bad shot. So, so I, I, uh -huh. I was just going to say, if a team's doing that on you, Aside from the obvious, like, like we would probably start wanting to foul with three minutes to go, correct? Because you want to get, you want to be able to have your, 
you want to be able to ha have them shooting so you can get as many possessions as, as you want, right? Like at what point do you start fouling if you're down, say, eight and there's three minutes left? Will you start fouling? You got to be aggressive. I don't know if I would foul that early because some teams are good shooters. Yeah. If you stop fouling me, then I just – then the refs, the thing the refs is like, oh, he's fouling. I put the ball in my best player's hand and anything and then, will be a foul and then, and then yeah. your best player is going to be fouled, fouling out. So yeah. you don't want to do that. It's going to cost you. So, you know, best thing is you got to be up and, and dictate the game and try to control it with the timeouts. But it, I think shot clock is needed. I don't think the, the association is big on that. I'm trying to hammer them a lot. You know, I kind of spoke to some guys and they're like, you know, the, the biggest thing they told me is money. And I don't think that's the case. You could put them, you could get the, the ones that you put on the side and and then you play. Like, you know, it's developing the players. It's not about us winning and losing because it's a 24 second shot clock. Like. It's only gonna help. It's only gonna help players' numbers, also. So, yeah. it really, I don't. And and if money can't be an issue, because if New York City has it in every single school that plays, money is not an issue. And you know, I think the, the biggest thing in in New Jersey's they feel as uh, is an advantage for the better teams and things like that. And yeah, that's the biggest thing. And, and to be honest with you, it would take away from the aggressiveness of man-to-man -man basketball. That's the only disadvantage I see. Because if you're not as good as your opponent, you're going to sit in the zone. Everybody's going to play zone. Regardless, mm -hmm. if you're down 20, 15, you're going to sit on that zone until, you know, you have a bad day shooting. And it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You're seeing it now in college basketball, like Georgia Tech played a zone against Kentucky the whole game. And they lost. And right. a lot of these guys play zones and they lose because, you know, guys not good playing against the zone offensively. And that's what you want to see. You know, we're a little different. New York is a little more aggressive. New Jersey, I think better coaches in New yep. Jersey. They'll take it. Whoa. Hold up. But you got three of the best ones in New York in here, I'll tell you that much. As As a whole, I feel like in New Jersey, coaches are older. Some have more experience. Uh, some, 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 some coaches. And I, I'm being honest. Some coaches in New York in the high school scene. And L, you know that L. Like you, you coach against guys that like, you're like, oh man. It's some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know that L. You, you, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You, you look around. I'm be this dude by 20 today. Do part of practice. He don't do the scout report. So, so I think that's that's the thing. But New York is more aggressive, and and it's good, you know. So New Jersey will be super laid back. I mean, we play against teams. We were fifteen and playing the zone, and it's like, and we just holding the ball, and they won't come out. And you just hold it. Oh yeah, I hold it. <laughs> Put it like this: Union Catholic played St. Patrick's School a couple years ago. St. Patrick was up, I think, two or three. Fourth quarter, they decided to hold the ball for like five minutes. The game just ended? No, they just, it was eight, eight minutes into the fourth quarter, and they held the ball for five minutes. So they started playing three minutes, you know, before the game was over. Like, they that's held crazy. the ball. But that's, that's, that's what not it a is. bad move. 
right? If you are an underdog two, and you're coach. in that game. Up two. And, and the other team is winning by two points. And, yeah, you want to give it down to the last three minutes because anything could happen in the last three minutes of the game. Like, if you're the underdog and you've hung in there the entire time and they want to hold it, and I understand that's a crazy thing, but that's what happens when you have no shot clock. But, like, the defense defense should, right? They should go try to get a five-second call, right, and just get the ball off the defense. It's just different without the shot clock. Chris, L, can you see stall ball happening in New York City? Absolutely not. It's – Here's the thing. The, you talk about shot clocks, and that's why it makes me laugh. The Jersey says it. The only reason Jersey does it is because there's, there's teams that are in areas and they're unathletic, and they think that they'll lose to all the inner city teams. That's why they do it. Let's call it, let's call it like it is. In New York City, it's ridiculous. Everyone's got to have shot clocks. So you know you've gone there and the shot clocks broke. you got shot clocks here. And every time they'll come up, Chris, can we play the game anyway? I said, dude, the shot clock never goes off. I don't hear the shot clock go off. It might take five games for the damn shot clock to go off. So let's play because the kids aren't going to play it, right? They're not going to all of a sudden grow into a jersey team and start passing the ball around for 10 minutes. That's not going to happen. You also have 14-year-olds on the shot clock, which you're grateful for, but they don't know what they're doing. Like, you got the, the kid that can't pass math class on the shot clock. You're not going to get them to do it right. <laughs> it's a disaster. That's why sometimes I get jealous. When I see Alex and he's got all this stuff, I go, oh, my God. I go back to Clinton, right? Oh, cool. I, I, I um, in coaching the B, remember, we just got shot clocks. We didn't have shot clocks the whole time. So, um, I, I – um, if you're playing a team that is a great offensive team, like the year we won a championship, like that we needed a shot clock because we would just, and, and like you said, if you're a coach that is, your team is disciplined, you're going to run through it and continue to run through it. And other teams without shot clock, like they, they're going to run. But like you said, I think, um, Ben, to answer your question, if it's a higher level game, then the shot clock will really help because somebody's playing defense. If it's a lower level game, then yeah, I don't know about um, stall ball because, you know, even when you're the higher team and you're playing against a team that is supposedly not as good as you, um, most of the time they're going to just give you the ball anyway. So it doesn't matter about a shot clock. Dan, I know you've been waiting. You got, you got, you got another question for Alex. I know you do. So like, do you have any goals for yourself, like what you're trying to like as far and as terms as your career, like where you see yourself going. I want your job. I want your job, Murph. Oh, you do? Yeah. (laughs) I want yours. We can trade. Um, Like for the future, do you take it like one day, one season at a time, or do you have anything? Like, are you trying to plan any things out? If you could, you know, because you've been doing this for a while. So do you see yourself doing the same thing for a while or you, you have your eyes set on some other things? Like, what's the future hold? I want your job, man. That's what I want. <laughs> no, just, I think, just try to do the best I can with what I have. And if an opportunity comes and it makes sense, take it regionally. Don't try to fool yourself, man. A lot of, I've seen a lot of guys try to do things that they, they, they want it, but then it just doesn't really work out. And it kind of derails them. And they don't focus on the now. They focus on what they want in the future. And it cuts their career real short. 
very fortunate to be at prep, good school. So I'm just trying to make that team the best team I could possibly, you know, have. That's that's the bottom line. Just focus on what I'm trying to do now. Something opens up that makes sense for me, and I'll give it a shot. The guy with a million questions, and we ca- we catch him off guard. <laughs> hey, Alex, I got I I do have one one last question for you. All right, and, and we'll wrap it up. Um, I know over the course of time that you've been at prep, you've had a number of players go Division One. Some of them low major, some mid major. And I know you have one of the top players in, in New Jersey right now. As a coach, do you feel any pressure coaching that player to making sure that they develop to their full potential where they can step into those Division One programs, um, you know, and have, uh, you know, have a role there and – you know, and and make and also as you're coaching, making sure that they have, you know, get to the right program for them. Like, how are you? Uh, I guess do you feel the pressure? How are you developing? You know, how does your coaching change? I think after they leave prep, it will be more nerve wracking because you know you have to be like, wow, like that I. Did I do the right thing for that player? Did I talk to him? Did I prepare him enough? But, you know, we usually we get the guys there. You know, it's their job to try to make the best opportunity, uh, you know, that they could have at the school. But you still – you don't have control anymore. So what other coaches see may not be the same thing that you see. So, you know, the college coach will call you and say, hey, he's doing great at this, but he needs to do this. And then you like them, like we didn't really do that as much as we should have. So I think that's will be the thing that will, you know, will bother me the most, if not to be able to prepare a guy as he should, especially a kid like Mark and a kid Ray, Division One players. Like I, I want them when they freshmen, the coaches say, hey, they're on the right path. You know, you you did what you had to do with them. It's you know, but it's no pressure. Those two kids, we worked out. In the summer, 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., two, three times a week. So we're prepared. They prepare. They, they've gotten better. So I think the pressure, you, you kill the pressure or, or you kill those that feeling when you just work so hard that it doesn't phase you. And, and, and you make the guys the best place they could be. <clears throat> and that's the bottom line. You know, we had – as an incoming freshman, the kid Mark Armstrong coming to the gym at seven in the morning, three times a week. So, so he's he's getting those reps, kid Ray. Like guys coming in constantly in the mornings to get working, and then they come back in the afternoon. So we're doing double sessions three times a week. Kids getting better. There's no pressure. Just they have to just perform, and it's you know instincts once they get on the court. So it's not so much that, that you feel pressure to help them live up to the expectation of the offers that they're getting. No, no. At, not at all. I think they deserve it, especially the kid Marcus works hard. The dad's doing a good job. Plays for the light and they're doing a good job with him. It's more of the character. That's the bottom line. I have to build his character so he's able to survive at the next level. Without the character and perseverance, 
he won't make it because he's, you know, one of the best players in the state. But once you go to the next level, he's not going to be the best player on the team. So that's the biggest thing to, to, that I have to build with my top players, is the character. Alex Mirabel, thanks so much for your time, my friend. Uh, I appreciate you, as always. Uh, and I appreciate you giving us the time today to be the guest of the roundtable. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks Thank so much. You. Thank you for listening to this episode of Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BCR Podcast 11.